Wake the dead. Wake the dead. Wake the dead. With Sean McCann. I personally never get tired of talking about the hidden symbolism and layered allegory in Stanley Kubrick movies, because there's so damn much of it. And my returning guest today evidently never gets tired of it either, as he's dug just about further than anyone else I know into the coded messages in Kubrick movies. So it's welcome back to Sean McCann of the Wake the Dead podcast. Welcome back, brother. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here, bro. Sure. So we've had a few conversations in the past. I've guested on your show and you've been on mine. And we've certainly got into a lot of the coded stuff in Kubrick. Uh, we've really dug into 2001 A Space Odyssey. We did a bit of digging into The Shining. We've been into Lolita, Dr. Strangelove. But today's discussion is going to be, to a very large extent, rooted in Full Metal Jacket and some of the mind control and other themes that you've identified as being contained within that. So I've got to say that as a fan of Kubrick's movies, Full Metal Jacket is probably the one that I enjoyed the least. Hmm. I mean, uh, on its on the basis of its surface narrative, at least, I appreciate that it's loaded with allegory and metaphor and stuff, which we're going to get into. But in terms of it as a movie having entertainment value, it's not really my favourite. Right. Uh, are, are you are you with me on that, or or is it a big favorite I, of yours? I can understand that. Um, it was it was always on like on like TBS, like the you know the cable, like late at night or something. It would be playing. Uh, they would play The Shining also a lot. So like, you know, it would be like you go to somebody's house and it's on because like they're just flipping through the channels. And when you find that like when you find a Kubrick movie flipping through, you just oh okay and you keep it there you know if you're looking for something to see uh no matter what the film is you know which whichever of his films um but i i do understand where you're coming from because it leaves a bad taste in your mouth you know it's like a it's like it's looking a happy movie is it no it's like passing by on the highway looking at a car wreck and you're like Ugh. <laughs> you know it's um and and a lot of people they don't like a, a lot of people complain about the fact that it's like two halves, like it's a, two separate movies yeah. almost put together and nobody Very really distinct. Right. And people are like, why is it like that? And everybody's like, oh, well, I like the first part better. Oh, I like the second part better, you know, and it's and then they they're busy talking about that instead of like thinking about That's one thing I do like about Stanley's movies, though, to be honest, mm -hmm. and that can be applied to 2001 where you've got some very distinct segments. It's like a right. sort of compendium of segments. Right. And very few other directors have really done that and got away with it. Like you say, Full Metal Jacket is a film of two halves. Right. And you don't get many films that have that kind of split. But Stanley did kind of specialize in doing that. Right. Well, I mean, Stanley was such an accomplished director that, I mean, they let him do whatever he wants, really. Like, And, um, and the way that that people uh uh they it's like the people they don't they don't look at how the pieces fit together like in 2001 with the apes in the beginning 
they're like, oh, that's weird. You know, why, <laughs> why did, the, why did he do that? You know, and when you really right. think about it, it all makes perfect sense. It fits perfectly. Um, you know, the apes in the beginning uh, evolved into the men that we watch at the end of the movie, you know, and uh, and the beginning depiction of violence and uh, just satanic mindset that was given to the to the apes uh fits perfectly with the end of the movie where we gave our satanic mindset to this computer and it's just following orders you know it's just doing what it's told and it, it ends up being this murderous like nightmare <laughs> you know yeah. but that's really what kubrick is most of kubrick's movies are depicting the nightmare <laughs> of humanity you know isn't that amazing you know 2001 was well over 50 years ago and it's depicting what happens when artificial intelligence goes wrong right it takes on as you say the sort of satanic mindset that's been programmed into it by the humans and just last night actually i was watching the movie megan megan uh i don't know if you've seen that never but, heard uh, of that yeah it's a new film and it's about an artificial intelligence robot doll uh, that gets given to this girl as her best friend when her parents get killed. And it starts off all benevolent and it's a great playmate for the child, but it ends up developing psychotic tendencies, go figure, and, <laughs> right. and becomes a bloody killer. Yeah. Uh, all because of what's been programmed into it. And, exactly. uh, you know, the parameters that it's working within. So there's a brand new film from 2023, and Stanley was telling basically the same story in the 60s right right i mean he's been in conversation with these people that are building the new world order you know i mean he's working for them like he's creating their films their propaganda right. um you know he's Moon landing like, footage yeah yeah they, i mean it, in all likelihood i would agree with you there <laughs> um yeah. but it so you i mean but he's also a human you know and he recognizes his humanity and so he's still in touch with that um I humanity you know and when he sees the barbarity of what what is happening in the world i think it compels him to make these films and to show us you know hey look it is a car wreck and everybody take a look you know because if you're not looking then you're the next one to get smashed you know um awareness is most important i think in this in this time of uh new world order takeover you know if you're not aware of what they're doing or how they do it then you are just another sheep to get shorn and thrown into the well, this is slaughter. a question that this is a question that so often comes up with stanley people wonder whether through his movies and like you say he kind of had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted in his films that's a whole different issue because according to some uh, that occurred as a result of him helping out the so-called elites by faking that moon landing footage in 2001 which was the dry run for it uh, and some people feel that he was given uh, the green light by the studios to make any kind of film he wanted from that point forward uh, but anyway that's by the by People wonder whether Stanley was trying to warn people, and they say it's a similar thing with George Orwell, 1984, um, warning people what was coming if we're 
not right. paying attention and we're off guard uh, because he saw the way society was headed and didn't like it and wanted right. no part in it. And then others feel that he was charged with revelation of the method. His job was to let us know what they're doing so mm. that we can no longer make the claim that we weren't told. So you have mixed opinions on what Stanley's right. motives were. But from, from what I've seen of the movies and looking through your notes for what you want to talk about today, he does strike me as someone one who found war certainly abhorrent yes and he looked at that base level of man that that animalistic primal base instinct that mankind has and he found it ugly and repulsive that's that's what's coming through to me anyway right yes and what that yes i agree uh completely and that's he depicted that with the apes and uh with the the murder that the apes commit it's like depicting the cain and abel but as if cain wins and takes the world you know um right. and i i do i do uh think that he i do think he was charged to to do revelation of the method but i also think that he layered in esoteric information for us to understand that that he layered in because he has heart and i think that he had to put his heart into this and like show us esoterically like so the exoteric message is people are monsters like we are satanic and like just go along with the satanism you know and there is no morality like um whatever but really he does layer in because he uses shock value like he understands he uses the camera techniques to give you the emotions that are necessary for understanding that this is horrific you know um and like uh in uh in the 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 apes of 2001 basically uh they set the stage for like what i'm just going to jump into it here like full metal jacket the opening scene where they're getting their heads shaved, this is a depiction of the shaving of those apes. The apes from 2001, and how can they be like that? How do, how can, and we know that it was the satanic force of the monolith which turned them into what they are, you know? Right. And what kubrick is doing with full metal jacket is he's showing us a full movie a full picture about those apes and this is what like uh these these boot camp gentlemen are shaved apes and he shows us like mm -hmm. taking the hair off of them and then he shows us all the hair on the floor you know mm -hmm. so it's like relating uh those boot camp individuals to the apes and then when we and this is basically telling us uh full metal jacket is about how is it that a normal ape or whatever can be turned into a psych like psychotic killer basically mm -hmm. and that's what uh the boot camp is a depiction of cult programming and um it's also 
a science it's like a scientific application of trauma it's like trauma-based mind control right and they control everything and they and you allow them to yell at you and treat you that way and and so it it creates a um a pecking order basically and this is like an entrained this is like a, a it's like a subconscious hierarchical system that animals work on and uh kubrick is showing us that the state is hijacking those subconscious mental processes to create killers for the state so like um that's uh there's a there's a scene where joker is being filmed for a a war film whatever there and you know there's like a director there with a camera and he's going through the warp you know like the area where they're shooting and stuff and and then they have little interviews with each of the guys and joker says to the camera he says i wanted to be the first kid on my block with a confirmed kill that's that's really what this movie is about it's how do you make a like a, a average american boy into a murderous killer for the state isn't and it like, ironic that matthew modine who played joker has most recently cropped up as dr brenner in stranger things he's the director right of a mind control institute doing mk ultra style mind control uh, yeah. experiments and he's the guy who all those decades ago in full metal jacket was undergoing systematic trauma-based mind control in the boot camp exactly that. that yeah exactly that and it's great how they use how they can fold in those other ideas just by hiring that actor like i've seen like directors do that a lot and that's really great. I like that. Right. And Matthew Modine did a fantastic job. And um yeah, yeah. and uh uh the uh oh, what's his name? Leonard, the guy who played Leonard, uh uh he was brought in by Matthew Modine and he was a genius, like the the gentleman who played Leonard, uh Gomer Pyle. Pyle, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh that like that was next level acting and i think that that i mean uh no matter how scary it is to look at it's still like a perfect movie you know sure so in 2001 the influence on the apes to turn them into killers came from the black monolith right and that's symbolizing the satanic mindset satanic ideology right it's similar perhaps to a black cube which is how we see saturn often symbolized right. as a motif of satanism and then in full metal jacket the recruits are being turned into killers by the drill sergeant who's representing the establishment and again the satanic mindset in society yes and what's amazing to me is there's a connectedness between all of kubrick's movies so in 2001 he's examining that uh, theme in 1968 and then 20 years later he's examining a similar theme in Full Metal Jacket. And there's a direct correlation between those two movies. And the last time we spoke, we drew correlations between Lolita, 1962, and Eyes Wide Shut in 1999. Right. So, you know, almost 40 years apart there, he's looking at similar themes, you know, child sex trafficking, right. pedophilia. So it's almost as if Stanley had his whole sort of uh, 
canon of movies mapped out in his mind early on in his career and he just Mm -hmm. kind of explored the themes one by one and often returned to the same themes as the decades wore on well i think that i think that that is a that uh that's a trait of a real artist you know these are themes that are in his head that he's thinking about and he wants to express them and explore them and that's what real artists do you know and uh there are a lot of movies that he didn't make you know like napoleon Mm -hmm. uh he was working on napoleon the whole time before full metal jacket and um i think because and he was uh, his wife said that he was in a depressed state and it was terrible for him because he knew what he was he had to put all of that evil into a movie and uh I I believe that all that work on Napoleon, when that was scrapped for because uh, uh, Spielberg made the Schindler's List and it gave him an excuse to not make that movie. And he was relieved to not make that movie. And then he goes and makes Full Metal Jacket. And I think that Full Metal Jacket is his expression of what he's been thinking about with uh, doing this Napoleon movie, because I mean, they're they're learning to follow orders and to be, you know, killers. And um, they're looking at it. He's looking at it from a different angle, you know, and like in Room 237, the documentary they described about how uh, I think it was not Bill Blakemore. But uh, anyway, the one of the gentlemen was talking about the Nazis and the destruction of the uh, of the Jewish people and the Holocaust and um, how they he described how the shining was a depiction of that uh you know the atrocities that we can that we do to people and bill blakemore also talked about the uh the native americans and that one i think it really fits especially since the next movie that he did had a character named cowboy <laughs> you know who what did the cowboys do it was mm-hmm. like cowboys and indians right uh so anyway like and the, so that the the uh, soldiers are like the cowboys who are doing the white man's burden, you know, from Portland to Portland, like uh, going, just clearing the land of all the, the natives. Um, and that was really well described in room 237. And, uh, and, you know, it, that kind of zapped my brain a little bit, made me think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, like you see the next film and uh, that, it uh it's further expression of those same ideas just like uh moved further more moved to the next uh iteration of his thoughts i guess and um so like room room two ahead, please room 237 is incredible because you've got four different uh guests giving their interpretations of what they feel the shining was all about right and um they all make very plausible arguments you know, one yes. theme is from Jay Widener, who's saying that it's Stanley's confession that he faked the moon landings and he's coded so much into The Shining to let those with the eyes to see know about it. Right. And then you've got the guy who, as you say, is saying it's about the Native American Holocaust and genocide. Right, Bill Blakemore. And then, right. And then there's another idea that it 
symbolizes Hollywood or something, or, you know, the, the world of the elites. So you've got so right. much there just in one movie. There's all these different interpretations. And I just love the way he's able to layer it in, in such ways. There's so much symbolism and allegory. And I don't think yes. anyone else has ever carried it off quite the way you do. <laughs> yeah, he's a true master. And um, I believe that all those theories from Room 237 are correct. Well, most Mostly, the, the, everything that's said in that in that is correct. I agree with the major themes, and um, like uh, Julie Kearns was amazing what she what she brought to the table, um, and uh, John Fell Ryan when he talked about how you can you can mirror the movie and play it back to front and it relates to itself like that. Wow, have that, you done that? I haven't. No, but uh, but I that inspired me to watch eyes wide shut in a different way where um there's a there's a scene uh where um oh i forget which character but anyway he says another hour like that and he points at his watch and it made me like think oh well hmm. and i skip ahead an hour and that point relates to the point where so like the way that yeah. he builds the that he that he breaks up the time of the film like even that relates to itself and um it's it's like a fractal you know um mm. in any case so he is do you ever I, get the impression do you ever get the impression sean that all this stuff that is in stanley's movies it's not actually possible for one human mind to <laughs> sit down and work all this stuff out and, and carry it off in that way i think do you possible. ever feel that there's some way in which he's tapping into sort of supernatural metaphysical powers and maybe <laughs> setting his will and his intention to communicate a message but there are other powers working to get that message communicated in a very very powerful way or is that too much of a stretch is that just me i think that uh it, it, he is working uh the the uh fantastic amazing powers of a true artist i mean i think all all humans can be capable of this i think i think it is it is the ability that can be reached from humanity i think we have that ability um and i you know uh me and my own art like i i try to relate and try to get more ideas and um I just I just see that as him being a, a perfect artist, you know. <laughs> I, I think that that's possible for humanity and tapping into the supernatural. I think that the I mean, tapping into your 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 higher will, I believe is is along the same lines as tapping into your to the supernatural. You know, I think that his higher self was informing him. Right. And I think that, um, that like the way he, he builds a movie like a dream, you know, and he's like the way that dreams work is they connect lots of things in your real life. Like you even see in wizard of Oz, like the tin man is actually her, you know, the guy that works on the farm that, you know what I mean? So, and like the wicked witch is the lady that's trying to steal her dog. You know, it's right. because of the way the mind works and how it puts it together. Yeah. I think that he's using that um, and displaying that. And also, he uh, without you, you mentioned earlier about how he 
he uses the same themes and the same from different movies to inform i think that's because uh uh he uses like he uh there's an interview uh from the documentary film uh the last picture i think and it's about kubrick and the gentleman who wrote ai i forget the name of the guy who wrote the short story that ai was based on but he was talking about speaking with kubrick and uh he said that kubrick uh, had a contempt for narrative <laughs> he said that a movie it doesn't matter what the narrative is a movie is six or eight non-submersible units which are these scenes that do not you don't forget these scenes they stay above the surface and you can recall them later so that's what he's working on he's like um he's with his new movies while you're watching them he's using the the non-submersive the the memories that you have of his other films to help uh display the the ideas that he's trying to put forth so um his earlier films are like a palette that he's working with and if you're and a lot of people they you know if uh they are dedicated Kubrick fans and they'll watch every film, you know, so the people that are just seeing the first Kubrick movie for the first time and they watch Full Metal Jacket, they might not get it. They might not see it. And a lot of people, even even Kubrick fans, they don't really get it, but they feel they can feel it, you know, and like that, yeah. that uncomfortable feeling makes them not want to watch it again you know it's i think that's what it is with me and full metal jacket because i certainly appreciate it's full of allegory and stuff but it's not entertaining on its surface narrative <laughs> it's a hard watch as you say yeah. uh, you don't come out of the cinema feeling good uh, no whereas actually when i think about it there's not many stanley movies that do make you feel good i mean a clockwork no. orange doesn't make you feel good but no. i just think it's a more gripping storyline Right. Anyway, I do want to get more into Full Metal Jacket because you've titled the notes Full Metal Disney. <laughs> Disney is a recurring theme, so we'll get into that. But I just want to ask you, how do you spot all this stuff? Huh. I mean, are you just watching a movie and, and you, you spot something and you're like, holy shit, I've just yes. realized what that means. Or do you start the movie <laughs> thinking, I'm going to explore what allegorical themes are coded into this movie? I mean, what's the process like for you? Well, for me, um, like, uh, I just like, I want, uh, like, I love, I love movies and I love photographs and I want to see good art. So I'm all excited when a new movie comes out, you know, and, um, or like when, you know, when my favorite artists make it, like if Jim Jarmusch makes a new movie, I'm like, yay, you know, um, but, uh, it's like, even with new movies, like, uh, I'll give you a there's this one that I'm looking at now called Nope, N-O-P-E. It's by uh, uh, Jordan Peele. And like, I'm just like, oh, well, new movie. Okay, let's watch this. And halfway through it, I was like, whoa, look at that, you know? And then the more I see of like I'll get an idea oh that's what it is and then I'll look at the rest of the movie and all the pieces fit and I'm like okay this is something you know and like with this the the nope film like the 
the bad, the evil entity or whatever that they're fighting, its front-facing display is a tesseract. It's a it's a extruding cube, like an extruding square that like it just keeps extruding from the center cube and I'm just like, "Wow." <laughs> and just to think like, "Holy crap, this director understands this symbolism and he's using it as like the evil force that you know." And then I look at the the humans that are fighting it and that's like that represents like all of humanity and like the the years of and then I look at how it relates to photography and then I get all excited you know and because I'm a photographer and I love all that stuff and and in the end they like well I don't want to talk about it but it, I'm I'm working on a breakdown of that one I'm going to do like I'm also going to do another one of this full metal jacket uh I'm going to go through and I'm going to really show but the way that it comes for me is I'll just try to sit down and watch a movie and like relax and see some good art you know and sometimes it'll just hit me like wham like with eyes wide shut i was like i've seen it a million times you know but uh this one time uh, you know i was watching and in ziggler's billiard room he's saying i'm not going to tell you who they are but if i did you wouldn't sleep so well at night and then all of a sudden we can see the portraits on the wall behind you know and then the portraits are the families and it's like the people with no mask like displayed and i'm like whoa that's kubrick is showing us you know and um and then i got all jazzed up about that and it made me look and i found all that other stuff that i created that uh like three hour breakdown occult kubrick and the butterfly net and you can find that on my odyssey or whatever occult kubrick and the butterfly net uh people should look at that but yeah it, what we spoke it, about the last time you were on good vibrations right right yeah and i'm i'm proud of that work too and i think i'm going to do another one of this for full metal jacket because there's a lot there's a lot and it relates to a lot of like what i've been learning in my own time about uh sovereignty and uh mind control and you know all of these themes about human freedom and now i see them in the world you know like i was learning with eyes wide shut i was learning about sra and uh you know uh bloodline abuse of satanic ritual abuse and then like i see it in full metal or in in eyes wide shut i'm like whoa there it is like and the more i look into it i'm like yeah it's definitely that you know there's no you know no argument uh so it just kind of dawns on me really <laughs> yeah yeah. But those non-submersible so units into full are metal there. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Getting into Full Metal Jacket, then. Uh, just, just pile into your research, then your findings, because all right, this overriding theme of Disney crops up, and right. you know, do you want me to start be with, aware that? Do you want to talk about well, Disney first? Might be aware that Dis Disney is a satanic organization. Oh yeah, and it's very closely linked to MK Ultra style trauma based mind control programming satanic ritual abuse so it's not quite the fluffy cuddly family friendly organization that a lot of folks think it is i'm sure my listeners know better but uh, i'll just preface it by pointing out that disney is not all about fun and games and and love life and laughter so uh, i'll let you take it from there yeah uh if you learn about disney like you can read uh like fritz springmeyer will 
teach you that Fantasia was created for abusing children. Like it's made to be played while the child is being abused so that it can be programmed. Uh, you know, it's Disneyland was built as a place to torture children. Uh, and you learn about that from, you know, uh, various writers that have, that are, that have experienced trauma-based mind control right. and SRA speak about going to Disneyland at night and being raped by the people that work there and being put on the rides and being thrown in the water. And she thinks, Oh no, the alligator's going to get me, you know, and, and it makes like, it's a, it's a place where, you know, the, what they see on TV is real and like, Oh, you really need to be afraid of alligators now. And that traumatizes the kids. And, um, so anyway, that, uh, Disney was part of that. And, uh, in 1941, uh, no, not 41. I forget what year it was, but the the year uh, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, uh, yeah, I guess it was 41. Or, yeah, that was 41, right? So the, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, uh, the United States government just took over the the uh, lot, the Walt Disney lot in California. They just said, "This is our new." Uh, here, I've got a quote from Walt Disney Studios World War II exhibition in 2020 in quotes uh, when Walt Disney received word that the Disney studio lot in Burbank had been requisitioned as an army air anti-aircraft base after the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941 he and his staff pledged to support the war effort without hesitation and without profit but he's part of the he's you know He's a, a fellow member of the cult, you know. Anyway, so uh, the Walt Disney Studios devoted over 90% of its wartime output to producing training, propaganda, entertainment, and public service films, publicity and print campaigns, and over 1,200 insignia, while also deploying a group of talented artists, including Walt himself, to Latin America on a goodwill tour. <laughs> What's that about? So anyway, during this unique era of animation history, the Walt Disney Studios functioned as a tremendous morale builder for both the civilian public and deployed allied troops. So this is depicted in Full Metal Jacket, but I'll get right. into that. Uh, Walt knew that cartoons would be an ideal medium for communicating with the American people in an amusing, uncomplicated manner about war-related issues and anxieties. In addition to the short films and military insignia being produced, Disney characters appeared in a variety of home front initiatives from advertisements, magazines, and stamp books to government posters promoting tax payment, food recycling, rationing, war bond sales, and farm production. So this is the environment that the Vietnam vets grew up in. The people that were, right. uh, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, they were little children and they were going to the movies. And before every movie, there would be these Disney shorts and they would be like, you know, the three little pigs or something. And the, the wolf would be a Nazi and the three little pigs, um, the brick house that they stayed safe in 
they peel away on one of the bricks and it's a war bond receipt <laughs> like these i mean it's very uh blatant what they're doing you know and this was going into the kids heads and you know uh it's magic you know to be uh walt disney studios controls the entire space it's a darkened space where they control all the consciousness and imagination of those watching you know and they layer in these those, thoughts uh, a lot of those wartime propaganda movies got mm -hmm. produced at lookout mountain which right. is this covert military base in laurel canyon a lot of research has been done into the true nature of laurel canyon what went on there in the mid to late 1960s that's the counterculture sort of hippie flower power scene of course and the generation that were being targeted by that with the lsd and the psychedelic rock music and all that were the so-called baby boomers that were born towards the end of the second world war and those that weren't being uh, seduced by all the acid and all the rock music and stuff were being sent off to Vietnam. Right. Same generation getting, you know, mind control that way. But a lot of these films came out of Lookout Mountain and Walt Disney himself worked there, as did various other familiar names like Marilyn Monroe, James Stewart, uh, Bob Hope. So there was a Ugh. lot of, you know, covert shit going on there. And I'm sure many of those movies that you're talking about would have come out of Lookout Mountain. Right. Right. And uh, so that's that's exact. It's military produced. And uh, right. from our like the first time I was on your show, like years and years ago, I was telling about the radio being owned by the Navy. You know, it's a military operation. And uh, Dave McGowan. RCA. Yeah, right. RCA, it was controlled by the by the military, by the Navy. They had two uh admirals that were there in like every one of their meetings dictating what they were to do you know and you find companies that have these three letter names like rca and like a, they rca were my yeah, version yeah right and they're basically the same alphabet soup as cia fbi you know it's uh same thing so yep. um basically the um walt disney was working with like they had the radio going and that was one level of military propaganda and cartoons are you can do anything with a cartoon infinite imagination you know so uh, walt disney was employed by you know and um it, they act like it, it was a takeover and he was such a good american that he's just helping because he's told to but i i think that uh he was boosted up and turned into what he is i think that walt disney was created by the military uh i don't i don't have i don't know we we don't have to get into that but um but the uh the what what walt was doing was uh it had like the technology was far beyond any other cartoons there was more f pictures per second um there was more like the way the production was create was put together was like uh was like henry ford's um warehouse you know it, it's like uh um they many artists working and uh full total control over all of it you know and who's controlling him right 
So, and when we look at the fruits of the tree, we can see how, how rotten it really is, you know? So in the, in the, in those moments, they might've thought, oh, it's wholesome and whatever, but they don't see. And now with our hindsight, we can, we can view it as for what it is. And so that's what Kubrick was, Kubrick put Mickey Mouse in full metal jacket. Kubrick was showing us a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first time that we, uh, that we hear the word Mickey mouse or Mickey mouse is injected is as Hartman is running into the head, not the bathroom, but the head. I mean, that's even more, but, uh, so as he runs into the head, he's, he's because Leonard is screaming, this is my rifle. He's just, you know, waking everybody up, going crazy in the bathroom. He Hartman stops right before he goes in. He says, what is this Mickey Mouse bullshit? And then he runs in. So that's like, hmm, okay. And then later, uh, when Joker is at the Stars and Stripes and he's being told, we're not putting truth here. We're putting uh we're i don't know about you but we're in the business of making soldiers feel good you know this is propaganda and he's explaining to joker about how it's propaganda and he's like you know and then he's telling the other guy like oh i want to see uh some pictures of ann margaret's genitalia you know and so that's like what the newspaper is and it's you know it's an allegory for the real life of what real newspapers are you know it's creating feelings and emotion making people think worldview programming that type of thing and while while he's joking like he's sitting there and behind and he's talking to his boss and on the windowsill behind him is mickey mouse and like as he's being told this is what the newspapers are this is what the media is there's mickey over his shoulder watching and then uh, he makes a joke. Does this mean Ann Margaret's not coming because the Tet offensive and, you know, turns into real war all of a sudden? He looks back, uh, the, the guy looks back at Joker and Mickey's gone. It's one of those um, hmm. continuity errors that he does, that Kubrick does on purpose because right. um, it's. I mean, how do you spot those? Because people would say yeah that's a continuity error uh the filmmaker screwed up but stanley right. was too much of a bloody you know uh master right. to screw up sloppily like that there's also supposed continuity errors in the shining where jack is arguing with wendy sat its typewriter and when the camera goes back to jack after being on wendy something's disappeared in the background and people have picked up on that right so uh but it makes total how, how sense how do you even spot that Mickey Mouse has disappeared? I mean, most people, that would just go straight over their heads. <laughs> well, I see it a lot. I've seen the movie a lot of times um, because I love it so much. I'll just, I'll watch again and again. But, you know, and I've already, I already, sorry about that noise there. Uh, I already um, was looking for Mickey because I heard Hartman and the end of the film uh there's that other mickey appearance um so like because of that when i see mickey i'm like oh there he is and then like when he's gone all of a sudden i think why is he gone all of a sudden you know just like the the chair in the shining that you're talking about it makes total sense 
it informs the story. He has the, the non-corporeal spirit. The ghost is sitting in that chair over his shoulder, telling him what to write. And then she comes in, breaks his concentration. And then the chair's not there anymore because like he's not getting fed what to write anymore. The ghost broke away from, you know, he was in communion with the ghost. She interrupts him and he's like telling her, don't interrupt me. You know, like it totally yeah. makes sense Amazing. to the story. And like, if people thought about it for a couple of minutes, instead of being like, oh, that's continuity, he made a mistake. And then they're busy thinking about that. And then they're not thinking about how would that apply to what we're actually watching, you know? I mean, isn't that a true genius? He's put something in that people watching it on an exoteric basis, the average film goer might spot that and think oh they screwed up that's really sloppy but no no actually he's like 10 steps ahead of you because that was supposed to be there right. and it's like five layers down in the onion you just keep peeling layer after layer away and uh, right. then you get down to something like that it's incredible right and um i've heard people talk about that chair in podcasts and people that were working on the film they're like kubrick doesn't care about that it's whatever works best in the shot. And Kubrick asked for the chair to be removed. And like he was looking through the through the lens and he's like, okay, get rid of that chair. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it obviously made sense to him in his mind, but the people interpreting it that are working with him are like, oh, he just doesn't care, whatever. Um, not even they can see, you know, but and I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but I believe it fits completely and I, you know. As he's making the film, these connections happen in his head. And he's like, oh, we'll go with that. See how that works. And that's probably why he shoots so much. Like, he gets real and real. Like, he shot shoots for the longest periods of time because uh, you can get all those happy accidents, you know. And then he can review and he can use a wide range of, uh, uh, you know, he'll do 80 takes or something of somebody coming through a door. You know, and um, it makes the and actors used to traumatize, traumatize some of his actors. Right. Right. Yeah. Poor Wendy. The, the, there's a story from Shelley Duvall when she worked right. on The Shining. She said Stanley used to just shout and scream at her and get her all stressed and nervous right. and twitchy because he wanted her like that to get the best performance out of her. Exactly. So he knows how trauma works. Right. Yeah. He was he was make he was traumatized because he wanted to get the real thing on the film. You know, and like the uh, in Eyes Wide Shut, when uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are doing that argument uh, in their bedroom, he made them do it again and again and again uh, until they they like forget who they are, what they just become. You know, like I think that's why he makes you run through it so much so that he you, he taps into your subconscious, like just going through the motions, you know, uh, instead of your conscious mind thinking about it um, because that's where the real magic happens but that's where when you're when your subconscious can take over that's when the real art it uh bubbles out and if your conscious mind later can recognize oh that's a good piece let's use that you know as i, I think that's how it, it works like with my photography years ago when i was learning i tried to remove my own uh intent you know, and like I would trust the process of the filmmaking and I would all these happy accidents 
would occur. And it was it would just get me so excited. And then I would follow that and I would accentuate that more. And, I, you know, um, I think that's what a good artist will do, will like allow for everything. And then with editing, you can pick what's the best. And a lot of times uh, with that, with running so many times, they'll like things will come up that the actor doesn't even know he's doing. You know, but the inside right. the actor can understand maybe um, is pretty subjective, <laughs> you know. Sure. So in Full Metal Jacket, you've got the new recruits at the boot camp and you said that they're singing the Mickey Mouse Club song as they go. Running. Oh, right. At the end. Uh, so, so there's a photo. Oh, no, that's the uh, end. Yeah. In the right. In the, okay. While they're doing the cadence dance. That's in the war zone. Yeah. Right. So this is like the, at the end, the last moment that we, the, the, the third time that we hear Mickey is right after Joker kills. Then they're walking away from this burned out, destroyed city. And they all start singing in unison, the Mickey Mouse Club song. And uh, this was another moment where it dawned on me. I was like, whoa, because the mickey mouse club like who's the leader of the pack or whatever that made for you and me you know like the leader it's about following orders it's about being in a hierarchical system and the mickey like you uh the mickey mouse club they put on the ears and you're no longer yourself it takes away your identity and right. you're being part of this larger collective and so this is like the children's first taste of communism or socialism. And it, the military is socialism in action, you know. Uh, and, you know, everybody is the same. Like boot camp stresses, like if one person falls in the mud, you got to pick them up. Everybody is supposed to fall in the mud if one person does, you know. It, um, it creates that uh, group mentality of like, a survival of the group and then like hartman says you may die but the marines live forever so you live forever you know it's this kind of so anyway the 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 mickey mouse club is this fun thing that the kids uh in the 50s were willingly putting their will towards and being uh consumed by you know, and this idea of being like following the leader, Mickey Mouse, um, and being part of this group is perfectly uh, the, you know, it happens in the military. And these kids, the baby boom generation, the Satanists wanted to kill them off. They wanted to, to you know, veer them away from society. That's what that's what the hippie thing was like to try to make them go live in the woods and not invest in the stock market. You know, they, because of the, the amount of people that would, it would crash their fragile economy, you know? So they're, uh, plus they're Satanists in a death cult. So killing is always good for their ball. You know, they, they want to soak the, soak the war, the you know the land with blood for their sacrifice and but um 
in any case, th that's what, you know, Vietnam War was great for killing off people, this eugenics, you know. And um, so, like, the, the training of Mickey Mouse and being a leader uh, started when they were babies, when they were little kids, this becoming a killer and the mind control that it takes to lose your identity and become one of the cult starts with Mickey Mouse Club. And everybody there knows the words and they were all singing together. So that just shows like no matter where they're from, one guy's from Texas, one guy's from, you know, Maine. And they all know that song together because they're all united in that they are all Mickey Mouse Club members, you know, and the Mickey Mouse Club is the military, like the military, military and Walt Disney were one, you know, and they probably still are. So. And we're right back to the apes at the start of 2001 as well, right. with this idea of collectivism, because in boot camp, all the new recruits are just being made exactly the same they have their head shaved so they all look the same takes away their individuality it's collective hive mentality and with the apes we see at the start of 2001 uh led by is it moon watcher the lead stargazer ape? or something yeah yes yeah. yeah okay stargazer uh who works out how to kill uh yeah. how to you know be a predator and um the rest of the group then we see in a later scene have adopted the practice of carnism of eating meat because he's shown them how to dominate other species and right. uh, you know consume them and, right. and now they're all doing it they're all doing it because they've just fallen into that collective mindset so right. same theme really that's same right theme, different story that's right um the horror and the barbarity of those apes is depicted uh, directly in Full Metal Jacket. And uh, there's a scene where, um, well, Hartman is abusing Gomer Pyle and humiliating him and abusing him, and he doesn't get any better. And he says that the rest of you have not motivated him properly. So this basically, it changes their idea of he's one of us to now he's one of them he's the enemy so now they are right. they work together as a troop to go attack the enemy and so they wake up late at night and so the scene starts with the towel laid out and then the soap in the towel and they fold it up and then the hand takes it and whacks it on the bed a couple times and that makes you think of the ape sitting in the dirt with the bone and he's like whacking at the you know he's like testing it out right you know so that right there is a direct connection and then we see uh all of them sneaking up to gomer's gomer pile's bed you know and there and that's the same as the troop coming to the water hole to fight their rivals and uh and then they all like hold him down and they they all beat him with the soap and when they're swinging the soap, it's a white thing that swing. It looks like a bone while it's being swung. It even looks the same. And uh, we remember in in the in uh, 2001, every one of the apes had to hit the dead ape. 
they all went up and whacked it a few times and then went and then the next one whack 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 that's the same thing that's depicted here and it's like a blood in ritual with the gangs and stuff like uh if everybody shares that immoral act then they it binds them together as a group uh, exactly so it's like it uses that. that was the conclusion of um murder on the orient express the agatha christie story where you've got like uh 12 suspects i think throughout the film as to who stabbed this rich businessman and uh, spoiler alert for anyone that's not seen the movie but it turns out that all 12 of them each took a stab of the knife <laughs> so they all share in the culpability just like you've said and right. that binds them together as a group and the interesting thing about pile being attacked during the night and being hit with that bar of soap is that joker joins in Yes. And up yes. to that point, he had been an ally. He tried to help Leonard. Uh, but even he gets caught up in this ritual because he has to, because right. he's part of the group. Right. And you can see while it's happening, you can see Joker's face and the anguish on his face. And everybody finishes hitting. And then he's standing there just not acting, you know, like a dissociative. Uh... And then a cowboy yells down at him do it so he gets orders and then he immediately just whack 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 and he hits him like eight times and it's in all it reminisces like the ape in uh in 2001 which went crazy hitting a bunch it's like of times orgy of violence in it yes. something just takes him over yes yeah yeah and and it was initiated by orders i mean it was his friend but his friend was like do it like okay right whack 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 so like that's you know like that that is how the horror happens you know um even though you know that joker is depicted as having a heart you know he's got the peace button on his heart and on his helmet it says uh born to kill you know so like it direct contradiction exactly right so he's got um that's what we are seeing in the end uh like his heart is still there and that's why he's able to survive i think for so long by not being a killer you know um and then the moment that he finally does kill he kills with compassion and not even animal mother can can kill her like that uh this you know poor young girl who's like bleeding out and asking please kill me and animal mother's like uh, okay let's leave her here you know and and joker's like we gotta do something we can't just leave her like this because his compassion is engaged you know so and you know the other uh military officer is like whose side are you on son you know it's because he's saying the duality of man the jungian thing like that's what kubrick is expressing and talking about like how can such a loving person be a murderer how can you know so the first half of the movie is showing uh leonard uh turn into a killer and then once he kills that piece is over and the second half of the movie is further uh joker's life and then once joker kills that's the end of the movie like that's they're both the same like i don't know why people think they're different because the first one is the you know what kind of trauma it took to drive uh leonard to kill 
And it, ultimately, the moment that he pulled the trigger, uh, Hartman was yelling at him saying, didn't your mommy and daddy hug you enough when you were a baby? And <laughs> bang, you know, like, because that's really like parental, like how we grow up is why we turn into who we are, you know, and uh, that was a that was a deep one that, that he gave us. But um, anyway, like the uh, the first part of the movie, uh, Leonard's is Leonard's uh, descent into hell, basically. And then the second half of the movie is what trauma it took for uh, for Joker to finally kill. And then Kubrick gives us in the end, it's not killing with with anger or malice, you know, it's killing with compassion, <laughs> which is like, whoa. And that's what you think about on the way out. And as, as you're going and, you know, you hear the Mickey Mouse Club song and it all gets put into one. And then on the drive home from the theater, you're thinking about all these thoughts, you know, um, it's really perfect art, really great, great job. So do you, do you think Stanley considered it the natural order of things for violent aggressors to thrive? That's what we get from the ape scene in 2001. It's like uh, those in society who are prepared to be ruthless and, and kill are the ones that get to uh, dominate and, uh, you know, yeah. survive and, and evolve. Um, and the same theme, I guess you could say, crops up in Full Metal Jacket. But do you get the impression that Stanley wasn't happy with that state of things? <laughs> he didn't like it. The, yeah. the violent and the psychopathic in society get to thrive at the right. expense of everybody else. Yeah, I think that's why he makes his films the way he does. That's, you know, that's, he's, the human inside of him is showing us like, look at what you're doing, society. Like, how can you be these evil apes smashing and killing and eating, um, you know, he's trying to show us a mirror of ourselves so that we can reflect and see what, you know, uh, I do believe that uh, he, he, I mean, pessimism in the, in the way that, uh, you know, that he sees the world and it is pretty bleak and sad and evil looking you know but i think that he's showing us to inspire us to be better you know to show us to to wake us up from the horror of history you know the nightmare of history as bill blakemore says in two uh room 237 like um you know like the if if the shining was uh a depiction of the nightmare of history then full metal jacket is a depiction of how we get there the mentality that it takes to turn us to make us that you know right uh, so what about you mentioned earlier that you thought stanley would have been charged to a certain extent with putting revelation of the method out there and uh, you know just exposing what really goes on in the world but do you think the studio bosses were privy to all the stuff he was symbolically communicating when you strip away a few layers and would all that stuff have been getting done with their endorsement or do you think he was too clever for them and he was <laughs> passing this stuff off without many of the bosses knowing noticing what it was really conveying 
I think a little bit of both. I think that, um, you know, he was he was trying to go under the under the radar. But I mean, you got to use these symbols, you know, like an eyes wide shut. Like he's using the triangle with the eye, and he's using the the double headed eagle on the chair, and like he's he's using their symbols. So I'm sure that he knows they know, you know, what he's doing. But they, I mean. I'm sure there's layers that that they don't understand, you know, that on first watching and a lot of them, they put a lot of money into these films, you know, and like everybody knows Kubrick is making this new movie. He's got this contract. So they got to put out something, you know, and because he has final cut of the final edit uh, of his films, he's able to put in his message and they can't really mess with that well apart uh, from eyes wide shut exactly <laughs> right but i mean eyes wide shut was so blatant and like in your face of what like yes they wear robes yes they murder and you know yes they have orgies and <laughs> yes they steal children you know um all of that stuff is kind of coming out now you know with all the epstein and the you know, even the Detroit affair, like before the film was made, like, but, um, you know, uh, I think that because he put so much, because they recognized with eyes wide shut, I think that he went too far and, uh, they took him out. I think that, but, uh, you know, I think it was a struggle for him to, to put in a good message or to put in, uh, like an instructive uh path out of the satanism you know uh like like with napoleon he was he was struggling to make this movie because it's almost impossible to make a movie as dark and evil as that and still like have a human compassion you know a uh, story <laughs> So that's, I'm sure that's why he was so conflicted because how do you make that movie? You know, how do you display that? And it, it's just like, it's just gross, you know, what was happening. And I think that's why Full Metal Jacket is his way of resolving those feelings and those ideas that he had. Um, and he wasn't making a war movie. Right. He was making a movie about mind control and the evil of, cults and the evil that you know the mind control that it takes for to turn people into to turn joker into the guy that wants to make the first confirmed kill on his block you know what do you think about barry Lyndon? i mean what's the time scale here was it it was going to be the shining and then he wanted to make napoleon and he ended up making full metal jacket is that is that where napoleon yeah. slots in yeah, Barry Lyndon was before The Shining. Barry Lyndon was 75, so that was before The Shining and after right. A Clockwork Orange. Right. And there's no real obvious central message to that movie. It seems to be an art piece. It was Stanley experimenting with photography and what it was beautiful on the screen. Yeah. yeah, and it almost feels like it was cathartic for him. It was so he needed to take a break from the heavy, dark stuff and just do something that he really enjoyed. And it just feels like that was a, a little stopgap that he needed to sort of reboot himself. That's the impression I get. Well, I mean, if you think about it, really, it is doing the same theme. Like it's showing 
like uh, in his in his war film, he depicted uh, what was it, Paths of Glory. He depicted the people that, like the generals and such, they would wear makeup and shit. They would, you know, have their fancy dress and you know have be at their fancy tea set, you know, and that's basically the same type of people that. Uh, Barry Lyndon was trying to climb the ranks of social order or whatnot. Right. Kubrick was depicting the uh, the people that are the rich that run the militaries, you know that, and he shows they're all crooks and they have no heart. And this dude Barry Lyndon tries to be like them, and in the end, he's depressed and destroyed, and his life is total crap. And you know, yeah. um, he was following that like path of Satanism to become rich and to have all the things and to be, you know, look at me and my ego. And by yeah. the end, he's destroyed. His you know, his kid is dead. He, like he doesn't like his wife. Like. He has all this wealth, but it it's worthless, you know. It's like Jack's journey in The Shining, where he keeps saying he's he's trying to impress his bosses and mm -hmm. words to that effect. And uh, you know, do you have any idea what would happen to me if I didn't fulfill my contract? This sort of thing. Right. Uh, so he's trying to climb the social ladder, if you like. And then Tom Cruise's character in Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, you know, show signs that he wants to be a part of the club. And then at the end, Sidney Pollack says to him, basically, you don't, you're better off out. You have no idea what you're on the threshold of here. So right. again, similar themes with those three characters in those oh, three yeah. movies. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it really, he's, he's depicting like all of his movies are about the mind and the heart and how we navigate this satanic <laughs> place you know i mean it's taken over by these monkeys that are evil you know they dominate and kill and they have a hierarchical structure where there's an alpha and the others follow um you know that's really the, what evil is and that's i think uh what kubrick is displaying for us you know if um like in barry linden uh uh, he like uh, is on his way off the battlefield. He's like leaving the battlefield and he comes across this young mother who is like alone because her husband left and like she is so in need of a man in the house. Like, and it's, it's like showing what we are leaving behind, like the beauty of creation. And now, oh, I got to thanks lady see you later and gotta go back do some more war and she's like crying again you know um it's like kubrick is showing us uh what we are doing and how wrong it is i think it's just a big i think it's a mirror like i said all of history like all of all the art in history all the way back to cavemen like if you, there's this book by alex gray who's a uh visionary artist he calls himself uh he's got a bit of an ego but he's a really good artist and he wrote this book called uh uh the mission of art and it it goes all the way back from caveman times to michelangelo and he describes it as like a mirror 
to humanity's unconscious, to the unconscious of the artist, as well as the uh, the unconscious of the the people that that artist grew up in and came, you know, and was displaying to. Uh, I think that's what Kubrick is doing here. He's he's showing us the mirror of like the reality, and he's giving it to us so that our subconscious can understand. And that way it changes the way we feel and hopefully how we interpret uh, our, our choices in the future. Like, you know, uh, he helps to, to show us what our current worldview is doing to us and how it's destructive and, and uh, decay. It's decaying us, you know, and if we want to have growth and love, we need to reorient our our ship and go towards a different direction you know um the monolith is a theme that runs through it all that is the satanic wetiko mind virus that was transmitted from a non-corporeal place you know like mm. uh yeah mm. Do you you think Stanley himself would have gone through some sort of trauma-based programming because he emanated from a certain family? I don't think he was right up there in the elite ranks, but certainly he was considered important enough to have been put to use as an asset for the control system. So I wonder if he seemed to know a lot about trauma and how it works on the human mind. And I just wonder if he would have gone through that himself as part of his upbringing. I guess we won't know for sure, but yeah, I can't say for sure, but I do know how uh, the the greater cult of Satanism operates. They will bring up talent, you know. They utilize talent from the regular population, and you know they take them in and they try to control them with different methods, like with drugs or whatever, like the '60s thing. You know, they'll control like. Jerry Garcia was a junkie, you know, they fed him all of his heroin, so he's going to follow orders, you know. Um, right. I, I don't think they had that kind of handle on Kubrick, but I think that, I mean, he he wanted to make films, he wanted to be an artist, so that so they were giving him that opportunity. That in itself is a carrot, you know, for an artist. But um, I think that they, they, they do, I'm not saying Jerry Garcia is one of the talents that, anyway, I'm... Uh, like, look at Mark Passio's story, right? He's a normal guy from Philly who had, uh, you know, a Roman Catholic upbringing, and he ended up in a satanic mindset. And he went to them, and he said, hey, I want to be part of your thing. And they're like, okay, guy. And then they're like, okay. And, they, you know, they look at his, um, they give him all these questionnaires. They give him a psych evaluation and they say, okay, how can you best fit in our organization? And like, how can we use you, right? You have a talent of whatever. And they were going to place him in the Club of Rome, whatever. And just like Kubrick, they recognized his talent and they're like, okay, we can use that. And um what uh, Jay Wiedner was was talking about how uh, uh, how I uh, the bomb movie the um, what, uh, Doctor Strangelove was how he impressed the military uh, because 
they told him, no, you can't see the inside of this C-130 airplane or whatever. And he went and he researched and he made like an exact replica of the plane. Right. And they were like, whoa, uh, you've got some talent there with your, you know, your yeah. creative skills. And so they were like, we could use you, right? And mm. and uh, he took the carrot. I'm pretty sure that's the way it is with musicians as well. Right. But right. people often ask me, how do these musicians get selected for fame and fortune? And part of it is from the families that they emanate from, bloodline families. But I do also think that the industry is on the lookout for genuine skill and talent. And they'll spot a band and think, well, these guys could really work for us. And then they get invited into the inner fold. And I'm sure it's that way with Hollywood films. I'm sure it's that way with every aspect of entertainment. I agree. Yes, completely. Yeah. And so um, if you're not from an important bloodline family, you can still make it in the industry just so long as you demonstrate that you're happy dancing to their tune and that you'll do whatever it takes in exchange for your facilitated career. Right. But you, I mean, they'll give you all the riches, but you'll end up like Barry Lyndon, you know? Yeah. So Barry Lyndon or you is have to a, sacrifice your mother or something. Yeah. Right. Like what yay, yay West is talking about, like they killed yeah, his yeah. mother, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it is like, we see what we see in the world around us can inform us when we're looking at this art that Kubrick is giving us. And then when you put the outside world together with what he's, the symbols that he's showing us, it fits like, oh, you know, that's why he's using teddy bears and eyes wide shut. Oh, you know, like that's um, this type of thing. Like, oh, that's why the, the guy in the in the ritual of eyes wide shut is going in a left hand path, you know counterclockwise around the circle like um like it the more you learn the more you can see in these films and uh that's i mean that's why i think to room 237 is so great because it inspires people to look deeper and at the, at the end they're like you know there's a lot more people got to keep looking you know and it it, it inspires you to uh to learn more about the real world so that you can understand and see more in these mirrors of reality that Kubrick is giving us, you know? Right. What would be your response to someone who might listen to all that we're talking about here and they might shrug their shoulders and say, so what, what does any of this matter? There's bigger problems in the world right now. Why should we care? I mean, that's not a question I would ask, but if somebody were to come to you with that question, uh, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that um, this helps us to see what is going on right now. Like if you can understand the film better, then you can understand the world around you better because this artist is speaking about the world around you. Like that's, this is his message. And uh, if you say, I don't care, then you're, it's like, you know, uh, if, if um, Tesla wanted to talk to you about science and then you say, no, nah, I don't care. <laughs> you're like you're, you are um, becoming ignorant. You are ignoring information. And whether it's depicted as art with subconscious uh, 
you know, uh, if whether it's depicted as art or whether it's like, a, a, you know, a, a notice from the government official telling you how it is in the world, like it's it's both the same world that we're living in. <laughs> you know, Kubrick is Kubrick is a human like you. And this is his message to you that he's thinking about. And if you can respect him as an artist and as a thinker, then, uh, you know, lend him your eyes and your ears for just a couple hours. Maybe you might learn something. That's what I'd say. Right. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> when you were speaking there, it reminded me of that analogy that Passio has spoken about on his shows, uh, where he was getting a bit sort of twisted out of shape at uh, the message that he continually puts across just not being received as widely as it needs to be. And we all share that frustration. But he was saying it's almost as if you have a gift of truth and it's on a platter and you present it to somebody and you say, here is a gift that I would like to give to you for free. This is truth and I would like you to have it. And it's as if that person smacks that platter out of his hand and says, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it can feel like that with this work for for so many of us. Uh, But yeah, for, for, for the person that might say, why do these films matter? Why should I care? Right. That's why you should care because it's a gift that's being presented to you. And as you've said, it can help you comprehend the experiences we're all going through and there are lessons to be learned. And it's not just mindless entertainment, not with these movies anyway. It's knowledge being offered to you. So are you going to accept the knowledge or are you going to knock the platter out of that person's hand and say, fuck the message? Well, the Satanists want you to slap it out of their hand. You know, the way that we've been programmed is to hate truth and to, you know, it's so frustrating to fight this this wall of mind control that people are behind, you know. It's like the like the Roger Waters the Pink Floyd song. It's like all the people are walking up and down the other side of the wall. They're all singing songs like we love you, but you're stuck behind this wall of like impenetrable ignorance and you know um and also like Mark teaches us about how they, you know, they want to satanify America, well not the world, they want to satanify us and our worldview and make us act satanically and uh you know what it like if you only care about yourself and what you think about and if you are in a satanic mindset then anybody coming at you with truth you're gonna say fuck truth knock over their platter you know i gotta go get to work i want to drive a ferrari you know um that's that's part of it that's you know if you recognize that you're doing that and you're flipping their their platter then you should look at yourself and be like, whoa, what am I missing? And what made me do that? Why would I choose to say F truth? You know, uh, a, a child that is trying to understand the world and still in the learning mode and in a loving, resonating, you know, resonating on a love vibration, they're going to see something and say, what is that? Oh, I want to learn, you know, but people that have gone through 
uh, you know, public school and Hollywood movies and pharmaceuticals and, you know, the trauma of the news every day, you know, 9-11, watching the buildings getting hit with a plane, you know, like it's, we're so destroyed that we choose F truth. <laughs> you know, that's, it's another example of what the Satanists have done to us. And if we can at least uh, stop reacting that way and we can, you know, respond with like, hmm, you know, have a moment of thought and like, maybe I, maybe this truth platter might be a good idea. Maybe, I, maybe I could look at it and not accept it right away, but investigate, you know? Um, right. Yeah, that would help. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Well, that seems like a pretty good note to uh, start <laughs> wrapping things up on. Were there any major points that you particularly wanted to add there in that analysis of Full Metal Jacket or did we cover them all? Well, um, I just, uh, there's a couple. There's uh, the hierarchy of, um, of like alpha, beta, that whole thing, pecking order is depicted in many ways in the film uh animal mother when we first meet animal mother kubrick puts this ornate hat behind him you can see the way that it's lined up he has this crown of a building behind him like he is the king and he comes over and he's messing with joker and he's like uh you know asserting his dominance and then we see like when uh, eight ball is about to uh, purchase sex from the hooker um animal mother gets up slaps his hand away and says you know a racist comment and then goes and takes the woman because he's alpha he's like demonstrating that animal he even calls him animal mother you know um so like that uh that is an inherent hierarchy and it is evil you know kubrick is saying that that hierarchy is evil too. And um, there's another scene in when Hartman first gets him, like when the very opening of the film, Hartman is yelling at them and they're all standing at attention in front of their bunks. And as they're, as the camera pans along, he's Hartman is telling them, okay, you're mine now. Like you are in this place that I control. And as that's happening, the windows behind the bunks, it's this light, this blinding light. It's almost like the, um, like the office in The Shining, this blinding light through the window. And we see that it, their windows are squares, but within the square is another square. Like he accentuated the frame so that it's wider, so that it shows up to be a square within a square. So again, the Tesseract and he's telling it, this is, so this is their, um, I think he's showing us like hierarchy at all levels, even non-corporeal hierarchies are built in this way. And then as the camera pans along, we see on the wall, uh, framed, there's like a bulletin board or whatever, and it's got a frame around it. And in the frame is nine, uh, red squares of paper. And they're organized three by three and that, and he's telling them you are unorganized, uh, grab amphibian shit or whatever. And like, 
and organized organized is those squares and uh I, i'm i'm still learning about this piece but i think i might be onto something the nine square relates to the construction of solomon's temple and solomon uh would bind demons and i think that this is how you control it's like the it's taking control of of others and putting them in an organized fashion so that you are building this new like solomon's temple like is built with a nine square design and so by kubrick showing us that the masons in the crowd will recognize this nine square and so i think that he's showing us the tesseract and the nine square right at the moment of these people being inducted into this cult of obedience which is ultimately evil if you're not using your free will you know then you could be doing evil right and that's an overriding metaphor for society generally that's right yeah right there yeah and society is ignorant and they're all doing evil (laughs) so don't be part of the cult culture Mm -hmm. is not your friend (laughs) little terence mckenna there for you Mm -hmm. but yeah so this you know um it's not a war movie it's a movie about the mind it's a movie about this like evil itself and how humans consent to being evil and what what it takes to turn uh, a nice young american boy into a killer for the state right okay so what else you got going on at the moment you got your wait wait the dead podcast that continues that's going that's right. well you, yeah, you're on the man. one great work network as well indeed i am yep i'm the one great work network and uh i am you know chugging along with wake the dead i'm i'm doing lots of good shows i'm breaking down um you know different documentary films i'm doing uh you know uh talking about the nature of satanism and mind control um and i have a new project now and we've done three episodes uh my friend james cordner and i have combined forces to uh create a new show called black pill digest where we digest the black pill topics uh, it's like pretty much once a month and uh, we re- we broadcast it live too on the network one great work network and you can uh you can also find us live at uh uh freeyourmindne.com that's james's website and he broadcasts it there we usually go about three hours or whatever and we have many guests like uh the last one we had uh freeman fly and matt landman and chris jansen and uh, the first one we had uh, william ramsey and hans utter and the second one we had uh uh, uh will keller and uh johnny cerucci and um Oh, we also had Loomis on the first one from Chant It Down podcast. We're trying to bring our friends in to like to focus on like one main topic and then have us all break it out, you know, have us work together, like sitting around the fire and really getting into that one idea, you know. So that's uh, that's the new thing, Black Pill Digest. And you can find uh, the Odyssey for that, uh, where we broadcast and post all the recordings. And um, 
and like I said, I'd, I'm I'm working on a full breakdown of Full Metal Jacket. I'm gonna like I did for Eyes Wide Shut. I'm gonna put it together, make a video, really go through the the screenshots and talk about it. And uh, I think I'm gonna be doing that film. Nope, N O P E. Uh, I think that's another one on the roster. <laughs> and uh, you know, but I'm still gonna be talking about society and you know my regular Wake the Dead you know, topics of fighting the mind control and the Satanism, right. you know, but yeah. I'm trying to branch out and trying to do Business more as art. Usual. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, like, you know, me doing my, you know, what I can do and you doing what you can do. It, uh, it just bring, you know, the, the truth frequency is a little louder for people to hear, you know, so sure. I'm doing what I can, Definitely. you know? Yeah. We all do, brother. That's right. And would you say your one stop, uh, your one great work network page is like the one stop shop to find all your work in one place? Yes, uh, I post everything to onegreatworknetwork.com, and you can find me in the creator section uh, under Sean McCann. And I post all my uh, <clears throat> all the videos, all the audio, and uh, I even you can find links to email me if you want to talk, say something, whatever. Uh, there's a donation page. Uh, I need all the donations I can get. I need new shoes. My car's been broken for six months. Like I'm struggling here. Like I work at a factory, but, um, uh, but you know, whatever, I'm still doing it because I care, you know? And, um, so yeah, you can find that. And I make, uh, I have t-shirt designs. Uh, you can find that at storefrontiercom slash wake the dead. And uh, I've got some fine art photography and, uh, some anarchist designs uh, and you can, you know, sweatshirts, t-shirts, all that type of stuff there. So every little bit helps, you know. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for coming on today. Well, it's my pleasure, man. It's always an honor to speak with you, Mark. It's, you're a good friend and I'm glad to be here. Thank you.